Thank you, Bernadette. Uh, good to see you all. Glad you made it. Uh, we're doing a, a series called The Heart Has a Home. And uh, this morning I want to continue in this series for Christmas. But before doing that, uh, many of you made it out to our Christmas party uh, last Sunday night. And uh, we just had a, a tremendous time. And I, I wanted to thank uh, Jeff and Areli, particularly Areli, for uh, making it happen, uh, just a tremendous amount of work and, and effort, and uh, the time just flew by. I really enjoyed uh, our party and chatting to many of you, um, so uh, again, thanks really primarily for spearheading it and making it, uh, make it happen. But uh, as I'm saying, this uh, series we're doing for Christmas, the Advent series, uh, The Heart Has a Home, and I want to talk today about how our hearts really have a home and find a home in, in the Lord in the sense of getting peace. Uh, you know, peace is something that a lot of language gets put at. And uh, people are always talking about world peace, whatever. But, uh, you know, peace is personal. Uh, unless you are personally experiencing peace, uh, you, you're not... You know, you don't really care that much about what's happening in the world or extended areas. Primarily, you want to care about, are you experiencing peace? When you experience peace, then you do start caring about, okay, how about peace in my family, peace in my neighborhood, you know, peace in the world. Uh, I mean, there's a sense where we desire uh, to experience peace. But it starts personally. Are we personally experiencing peace? Are our lives, is your life uh, currently in turmoil? Do you feel like you're just going through choppy waters uh, and uh, you know, you, you're wrestling to try and find peace? Uh, peace with yourself, uh, with what your circumstances are bringing, uh, what stage you are in life. Uh, you know, Christmas is a wonderful season, but it's also packed with, with so many other things, busyness, and, and the routine gets filled up. And and so can we still experience peace in the midst of turbulence uh, or in the midst of busyness or in the midst of being pulled in other directions or, you know, being uh, invited to family obligations that you perhaps may or may not want to uh, participate in? How do you experience peace uh, and how do you particularly experience peace uh, with the Lord? Uh, you know, the funny thing uh, for many that aren't believers, uh, they don't understand how as believers in Christ, we can experience peace uh, in adversity. Uh, if for many, it would be the exact opposite logic. You would think, well, if you're going through some really difficult stage in your life, uh, you know, God must just be absent. And uh, there's a sense of, how could you believe in God when you're struggling uh, with the circumstances that you find yourself in? Uh, that would be a, a classic sort of skeptic's uh, logic or somebody that hasn't experienced uh, the peace of Jesus. Yet conversely, uh, the testimony throughout time has actually, be, actually been the exact opposite. It's how believers can experience extraordinary peace when everything in their lives is falling apart. Uh, and it's, you know, a testimony to relationship 
with a living God that we can experience peace uh, in uncertain times, uh, unpredictable times, uh, difficult times, uh, you know, things which are outside of our control, politics, world events, uh, you know, company layoffs, uh, things which you just can't control. And yet there's a sense with believers of experiencing extraordinary peace uh, it, during these times. Now, uh, you know, I'm starting to get a little bit older. Many of you have noticed that. And, uh, you know, as you get older, as you're getting prepared now to uh, connect with your families, you notice that older people tell, tend to tell the same story, like, again and again. And, and you just have to, like, really sort of press into your parents as they tell you that story again for the fifth time, and you know exactly where this story is going. And, and you're just like, yeah, I'm really, I'm really interested in this, Dad. Just tell me one more time. You know, I, I, I remember I'm sitting with my dad and he's telling me this story. I know exactly where it's going and I've, I've heard it so many times. That, and then he, just before he's going to tell me the punchline, I tell it to him and he didn't phase him at all. He still tells me the punchline with the same amount of enthusiasm all over again. I'm like, yeah, it was great. And, you know, that's just like family, right? Well, I'm saying all of that because I've told you this story before, like recently. I don't know when. I was like, I forget when I tell you these stories. But I know I told this story recently because I tested it out in, the, in our kitchen uh, this week. And everybody said, I remember that story, but it's a great story. So I'm just going to tell it again. And if you've heard it, you're just like, yeah, that's such a great story. <laughs> you know, we, we, we sing a lot of hymns at this time of the year. And uh, one of the most well-known hymns is this hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. It Is Well With My Soul. And uh, I had told the background story uh, to this hymn, and I'm going to tell you it again. You just have to, it's so great. I've never heard this background story. It's so exciting. Many of you are like, I know this background story. I know where this is going. But the story takes place in, uh, in 1871. Uh, this person's name is Stepford, uh, S.P. Stepford. And uh, he was a real estate investor in Chicago, and then they had the Great Fire. And the Great Fire wiped out all his real estate investments, and he was broke. But not only that, he also uh, lost one of his, one of his children. A two-year-old son uh, was lost in the fire. So, you know, he has a, a tremendous uh, adversity. And so to kind of get a break and, and uh, try and, uh, you know, uh, bring some life back to the family. They, they planned this great expedition, uh, vacation to Europe. And uh, at the last minute, uh, because of the fire and, and trying to work out some of the, the details there, he had to cancel his trip, but he sends the family on ahead. And the family uh, are sailing over to Europe, and their boat is struck and the boat sinks, and he loses his daughters. His wife survives, and uh, famously, uh, she te uh, sends a, a telegram and says, saved alone. And uh, so he's now devastated, and uh, he's now dealing with a fire, he's dealing with the loss of his son, and now he's dealing with the loss of his daughters, and uh, he's got to sail over to Europe to meet his wife, and he's sailing over to Europe, and as his sailing vessel is passing the spot, more or less, where uh, his wife and the daughters 
boat sunk. Uh, he's praying and he experiences the presence of God and that's where he gets the inspiration for his song. It is well with my soul. So, you know, let me just speak the words, not sing the words, save you that one, uh, of this, of this uh, wonderful hymn. It says, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to know, it is well, it is well with my soul. You see, here is somebody that has experienced a connection and a relationship with Jesus and is saying, I do not care for these circumstances. This is not what I wanted to have in my life. It's not through a lack of faith that these things have happened, but it has happened. And he's saying, Despite the circumstances, I still can experience this peace that comes with the relationship with, with the living God. And there is comfort that he is experiencing, and there's a depth to his uh, living, to his walk, uh, which is saying, you know, as he continues in this uh, song, he's saying, look, it's, life is not all about this experience now. There's a uh, already and a not yet part to all of our lives. The already part, we want to experience fully. We want to be loved. We want to have a, a loving family. We want to be uh, able to enjoy this life as much as possible. But at the same time, we know that this is not all there is. And there's a sense of I'm looking forward to a time in the future. And the way he pens it uh, was as follows. He says, but the Lord... Uh, this for thee, for thy coming will wait. we wait. The sky, not the grave, is our goal. O trump of the angel, O voice of the Lord, blessed hope, blessed rest of my soul. You know, and then it goes on, The Lord haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. You know, there's a sense where Lord, we anticipate your coming, and he's obviously bringing in some Old Testament uh, theology here and some New Testament theology here. He's putting in a song, and he's saying, we're waiting for Jesus to come again. And as we approach Christmas, we live in this tension between, okay, we're anticipating essentially the birth of Christ. But for us, it's a past event. But as the Old Testament Jewish people were anticipating the birth of Christ, so we live in this uh, time between the ages where Christ has already been born, he's already raised from the dead, but he's coming again. And so we're anticipating, we're looking forward to uh, when Christ comes again and all the promises that Christ will give us when he comes again, one of which is peace. Uh, and not just peace with us, with God, but unity in the world, like world peace and in God's leadership. So uh, this is uh, this, the times that we live in. Now, the, the extraordinary thing is this. When we have uh, a peace with God, we are able to accomplish things in our life that we would be unable to accomplish without peace in God. You know, when we don't have peace with God, we become paralyzed when we experience God's peace, we have the ability, like that songwriter, to be able to persevere 
during times of adversity and experience the love of God for us. Uh, it's uh, my hope for us this Christmas season that no matter what uh, situation you find yourself, where it be really an exciting time in your life, uh, you know, time with uh, uh, family and, you know, maybe newborns or, uh, you know, whatever, uh, or whether it's a time of difficulty and loneliness and, you know, families like in other parts of the globe and you just physically can't get together and it's, it's not what you'd want. But either way, that we would experience uh, that peace of God, that God would be with us. So, uh, you know, my sermon today is that somehow or other, through the impartation uh, of God, you would experience God's peace. And uh, it is a gift. It's a free gift. It's not like you have to be really, really good or work to... No, you, we can ask God for it. And we can receive it. It's a, it's a gift which uh, God wants to give us. So my prayer really is a reading from uh, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4, and it's a bit of a, maybe an unusual reading, but uh, my prayer is this. And I'm just praying the scripture. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. So, Lord, I just pray that uh, today in this room, uh, Lord, there would be no power of the, the enemy, that uh, you would open our eyes, that we would be able to see your light Lord, that your scripture would become real, that we would be able to make the connections that you want to connect with us. That, Lord, we can see your miraculous hand uh, in the affairs of our lives, in the affairs of the lives of this world, in the events of this world. Lord, that you would open our eyes, that we could see your light and what it is that you're doing. So, Lord Jesus, fill us with your faith. Impart faith to us. In your name, Jesus. Amen. So, uh, if you're following along, I, I want to read a classic uh, opening here for out of the Gospels. You know, the Christmas messages are traditionally found in Matthew and Luke, um, and in this uh, companion series, which if you haven't got, as Bernadette mentioned, uh, I would encourage you to get, which is tracking along in the Gospel of John, a very unusual uh, tracking for Christmas but a very profound uh, uh, insight and tracking, particularly as if you're coming for Christmas Day service, we will uh, look at that. And by the way, you know, we're doing a series, so if you're here for the first time and you want to catch up on previous messages, just you're welcome to do that online. Uh, but I want to read from the Gospel of Luke, which is the traditional area to read for Christmas. But I actually want to read a section which is perhaps not very often uh, looked at at this point uh, in the Christmas build-up, which is the account of John the Baptist. Uh, John the Baptist, as he's leading the way or pointing the way uh, uh, towards Jesus. So <clears throat> John the Baptist, uh, his parents, uh, are relatives of uh, Jesus' mother Mary. Uh, Elizabeth uh, is uh, older 
And uh, in a similar but different way, Elizabeth also uh, conceives miraculously. Mary, the mother of Jesus, uh, miraculously conceives by being a virgin. And Elizabeth miraculously conceives because she's past the age of childbearing, was unable to uh, have uh, children, and uh, God uh, made it so that she could. And her husband, uh, Zechariah, is uh, kind of blown away by this whole experience, and uh, as you can imagine, and they're godly people, they, they love the Lord, they're following His lifestyle, they, they come from a priestly line, both uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, and uh, at, Jesus, at uh, John the Baptist's eighth day uh, celebration, he receives this prophecy uh, from the Lord. And uh, I, I want to read this out of Luke chapter 1, verse uh, 67. It says this. This is Zechariah's prophecy uh, looking at his son, John the Baptist. And it says this. Then his father, Zechariah, filled with the Holy Spirit, gave this prophecy. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he, visited, he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through the holy prophets long ago. Now we will, will be saved from our enemies and uh, from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant, the covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. We have been rescued from our enemies, so we can serve God without fear, in holiness and righteousness, for as long as we live. And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High, because you will prepare the way of the Lord for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. To guide us to the path of peace. You know, Zechariah is pulling together uh, all these sort of ancient promises that have been made, you know, hundreds of years ago. Uh, Abraham and promises Isaiah's uh, made. And he's pulling them together and he say, it, it, it's coming to be like in you, my son. And uh, there's a fullness that's really exciting. And through prophetic words, he's saying what his son is going to be. And we know now because we live on the other side of this that that's exactly what came to be. John the Baptist pointed the way to Jesus. And uh, many have, you know, followed Christ uh, subsequently in the whole uh, Christian uh, religion, so to speak, or people following and having a faith in Jesus has come to pass. Uh, and so we live uh, this side of, of history. But I'm particularly... Uh, led towards the closing verse, this verse 79, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to this path of peace. And I say that because that's as pertinent when it was written then as what it is today. Uh, just as I prayed with that opening prayer, there is a sense where in a spiritual realm, 
uh, things we don't fully understand and we don't fully see, where the Bible is giving us some tremendous insights and saying, hey, there are two different ways to live. You can live following Jesus, or you can not live following Jesus. And what you don't realize is you're living the way of Satan, who's you know the prince of this world. And uh, what God is saying, he's saying, if you can understand this, if you can have a spiritual breakthrough, if the light of Christ will shine in your hearts, uh, you can experience this peace, this path of peace. So if you're following along your uh, bulletin insert that I got, the first point I'm trying to make is this path to peace. And I want to talk about this path to peace that John the Baptist is pointing to. Say like, you know, Jesus is the path to peace. Uh, but in Isaiah, going way back, in Isaiah 26, uh, verse 3 and 4, you know, 700 years before, uh, Isaiah is writing these things. And he says, You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you. God will keep you in perfect peace if you will trust in Him. All whose thoughts are fixed on you, trust in the Lord always. For the Lord God is the eternal rock. You know, there's this principle of those of us that believe. It says no matter what waves of uh, adversity uh, come our way, there's somebody, uh, Jesus, who's a rock. And of course, this is Isaiah saying all of this before Jesus was born. He's saying he is a rock. He is our prince of peace. He is the person that we can anchor our lives around that will give us stability, that will provide peace no matter what difficulties we're going through. Uh, the exact opposite of this is what Isaiah is also saying later on in chapter 48, 22. He says, but there is no peace for the wicked. Uh, you know, there's a, it's a funny thing, but uh, folks that are wicked uh, might get what they want, like in terms of, you know, manipulation through relationships or, uh, you know, financial well-being through adversity or, or, you know, or through corrupt uh, means. But, you know, there's no peace in that. Uh, it's like you can't enjoy the thing that you've uh, obtained through wicked means. And God is saying, I, I want to contrast a way of living. One is, you do it on your own strength. You do it in a, a corrupted way. You manipulate people. You use people or situations or your you know, position of power. Uh, we just look at you know, South Korea at the moment, impeaching the press. You know, whatever. Uh, you know, when you use corruption, doesn't matter how great or rich you are, you don't have peace because you're always trying to cover up what it is that you did uh, in a corrupt or underhanded way. Uh, but if you live your life in the light, so to speak, uh, openly and honestly, even when you mess up, you, you, you just confess, oh, I didn't have malicious thought, you know, I, I did it unintentionally. You, you just, you don't have to cover uh, your, your tracks and your path. So uh, Isaiah is contrasting one lifestyle versus another, and he's obviously saying, press into peace. But the path to peace uh, starts with faith. I mean, this is the amazing thing uh, for us, is that we first need faith. And if we have faith in Christ, uh, that's the starting point to take care of the pressing problems that we have. And there's two examples that Jesus uh, gives us, of two experiences Jesus has with two different women in two different situations. The one woman uh, shows up at a, a dinner party that Jesus is having 
with the wealthy, with the in crowd, with the Pharisees, with the, you know those that are politically uh, connected and and uh, well off. And uh, here uh, shows up this despicable woman in their eyes who's uh, immoral. And uh, Jesus contrasts them. He says to the Pharisees, who the Pharisees are like, come on, holy guy, Jesus, I mean, how are you dealing with this woman? And Jesus sees through it and he says, you know what? Uh, here's a problem. I show up at your house. You don't even give me water to wash my feet. And you guys, because obviously they don't think much of Jesus. Uh, on the other hand, this woman... Uh, yeah, she's lived a very immoral life, uh, but she is, you know, crying and weeping and her tears are dropping on my, on my feet and she's pouring perfume on my feet and she's like mopping up my, her tears with her hair. And, and Jesus says, uh, you know, he obviously corrects the Pharisees and he says to this woman, he says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your faith, uh, it's her faith that came through first. She believed something in Jesus. But the result was she was able to go in peace. I mean, like immediately, Jesus was able to deal with her tension that she was an immoral woman and she, she's in the presence of Pharisees and Jesus and there's, she's feeling awful. But when she left Jesus, she felt great. Uh, she felt peace. And the other person that Jesus uh, deals with their current pressing problem is a lady with a bleeding problem. I mean, her, the thing that's causing her not to have peace, peace is her health. Her health is not great. She's got a problem. Uh, but again, it's her faith. Her faith is the first thing. So she comes into Jesus. She presses in the crowd. She touches his robe. And Jesus knows that uh, something's happened. And he says to her, as well, he says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I'm trying to say this. Each one of us that might be uh, battling at this time period where we're not experiencing uh, peace, the starting point is actually faith in Jesus. It's not the problem itself. Don't get uh, too overwhelmed with the problem. Take your eyes off your problem and put them on Jesus. Uh, there's no problem that Jesus can't solve. I mean, we need to be reminded of that again and again because when we're in complex family situations, we're like, you can't solve them. Uh, but there's no problem that Jesus can't solve. And Jesus uh, can give you peace. Uh, the second point I'm trying to make in, in the bulletin insert is God's plan of peace. God has a plan. And uh, here again, as I'm doing in this series... I want to look at some of the remarkable prophecies from Isaiah and how they've been fulfilled in Jesus. You know, these, again, are predictions, prophecies made 700-odd years before the birth of Jesus that have come to fulfillment and which we sing about, we make hymns about, and we delight in, and we recall for the sake of lifting up our faith. But Isaiah 6, uh, 9, 6 and 7 says this, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders. Okay, there's like a future expectation that we have that one day Jesus is going to govern this whole world and there's going to be peace. There's also a sense that we can experience God's government in our lives today. 
He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Uh, all these titles are so well fitting to, to Jesus. The government and its peace will never end. He will rule with faithful, with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. God is large and in charge. As I've said so often, God's plans will come to pass. He will make it happen and we can't stop it. It's just the timing of God which drives us crazy because we all want it to happen like now. We all do. And we're like, God's like, I'm just not in such a rush. And that's the tension that we have to live in. But uh, nevertheless, we live in it anyway. You know, my experience uh, as a pastor and uh, talking to people that don't have faith and being a ton totally non-scientist, I'm an accountant by background, I'm not a scientist, but uh, I, I see a sort of a common thread and a common mistake that many of us make, including myself, is, you know, you have uh, a Christmas dinner and you've got a brother-in-law who's not a believer and uh, now you're going to try and have a dialogue with them and you're going to try and prove uh, Jesus to him by telling him about all these awesome prophecies and, and how God fulfilled it. And, and then you, you throw in a little bit of science and you say, well, I can prove it scientifically if you're scientifically minded. And you're trying to prove God's existence. And my experience is that it never works. Uh, partially because I, I'm just not a scientist. So, you know, right there, the person's listening with one ear and saying, but you're not a scientist. How come you're trying to make a scientific argument and you're not a scientist, you know? Uh, and the reason it doesn't work is because you don't prove people into faith. You need to have faith first. And then the, the amazing thing is all the scientific evidence supports the faith. And for us who believe, it's super rewarding and it's incredibly encouraging. And it all seems to make sense. We're faith first. Science supports it. Uh, but the, the, the evangelistic problem, conundrum we have is we try and put signs first and try and prove people into it. Uh, it, it, it doesn't work so well that way. Uh, evidence does not create faith, but it does confirm faith. Uh, again, I've, I've referenced this person before because he's a, uh, you know, a, a major cultural scientist in, of our day. And that's uh, Francis Collins, and he's written this book, which I haven't read yet, and I'm looking forward to reading it. I, I'm like, okay, I'm going to have some downtime. This is a, one of those books where I want to uh, do it. It would be a great uh, book club uh, book. It's, it says this, A scientist presents evidence for belief, the language of God. And uh, Francis Collins, uh, for many of you know him, uh, he is you know, doing this incredible scientific research trying to map the whole human body genome uh, system. Now, okay, if you're into genetics, like this guy's just your hero. You know, if you're not a scientist, uh, okay, we can rest on the shoulders of those that are credible scientists like this guy. And his, you know, his uh, sort of summary is, I'm very much a believer of Jesus, and I'm very much a believer of science, and I very much see God's hand in the minute detail. And he said, I'm very much against the idea that we just came from some sort of slime and somehow other we evolved, you know, some dramatic way into this. He's saying, no possible way. But on the other hand, he's also saying, 
I do believe in macro uh, evolution. And, you know, so he has a wonderful scientist, uh, somebody who's given a lot of thought to this, and saying, I believe in Jesus, I believe in evolution to a point. Uh, I, I don't believe evolution is the beginning and end of the whole story. I believe Jesus is and God has designed it. And, you know, if you're scientifically minded, this is like helpful reading. It's like stuff which is enlightening. And so on that same, uh, in that same vein, an article by Eric uh, Metaxas, uh, he was quoting uh, Howard Smith, an astrophysicist. Now, I'm not an astrophysicist. I don't know if too many of you are astrophysicists. But the reason I quote these people is because there's a sense in our community, in Boston, in our area, that education uh, is the highest goal. And if we all just so super educated, we'll solve all the problems of our own lives and of Boston and of the world. And the answer is just more and more education. And, uh, and I'm just like, quick to admit that I don't think that's the answer. I'm totally in support of education. More the better, but it doesn't supersede Jesus. And I don't believe that education is going to solve all our problems. I, I don't. I think Jesus will. But why I'm quoting a scientist is because uh, these guys have like incredible smarts. Uh, so anyway, uh, this astrophysicist, this is what he says. He told uh, readers, uh, that objective, if you take an objective look at two of the most dramatic uh, discoveries, discoveries of astronomy, the Big Bang cosmology and planets around other stars, uh, it suggests that uh, humanity uh, is not relegated to cosmic insignificance. Uh, or let me start at a different starting point, another famous atheist scientist, uh, by the name of Stephen Hawkins, uh, you know, described our existence as we are just chemical scum on a moderate-sized planet, and it just sounds very depressing. And, uh, and what this astrophysicist is basically saying, he says, the chance of human life on the planet Earth is just like so otherwise impossible unless there was somebody planning it. And uh, it just could not possibly have put all these things together and make it happen and you know then there's you know hawkins is saying look we're just going to split apart the best solution for you guys is find another planet go live on that it's the only way we're going to have peace if you can't find another planet we're not going to have peace here just like die you know very depressing uh, you know but the astrophysicist is saying you know the nearest planet in our galaxy which could possibly hold life is a hundred thousand light years away so he's saying we're probably not going to have a lot of communication with if there is anything out there in our lifetime, you know, it's just like a long way away. I mean, I don't know. Maybe they just float your boat. You're just scientists, and it's like, oh, I just love it. But maybe you're not, like, like blah, 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 whatever. You know, just, Jesus, I need to experience you. I need to experience your peace. I, I believe in you. Uh, and it's both. You know, we can have simplistic faith, which is real, and we can have a very intellectual faith, which can be equally real. God is, is large. He, he can handle both. He can handle wealthy and poor, intellectuals and non-intellectuals, practical people, plumbers and electricians and academics, both, all. Uh, you know, we all need to experience God's love and God's peace. And so uh, the third and final point I want to make very briefly is this future hope that God has for peace, both in the book of Isaiah, again, you know, hundreds of years before uh, Jesus was born, and 
in the book of Revelation, New Testament, the way it ends is this. This is what the Lord says. I will give Jerusalem a river of peace and prosperity. The wealth of the nations will flow to her. That's Isaiah. And then we look at uh, Revelation in closing and it says this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. And the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of the heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among His people. We are going to experience peace with God because God is going to redo uh, this earth. He's not going to do away with this earth. He's going to redo this earth. And we're going to experience the presence of God directly, personally. It's sort of like Adam and Eve back to the garden. There's a sense of harmony and peace which we anticipate and we look forward to. But in the meantime, God is saying we can experience this peace now in Him. But it comes through faith. It doesn't come because you buy it. It doesn't come because you're good enough. It doesn't come because you're intellectual enough to understand it and pull the pieces together. It doesn't come any other way but through faith. There's a sense where Jesus, I believe you. I believe the story of Christmas. I believe that you were born on this earth and I'm uh, encouraged where we can have scientific evidence to go back and to say, yes, there were real kings at that time. There were real places like Jerusalem and there were real places like Bethlehem and all the things that you said, they all came to be. But my faith is in you and it's supported by the evidence around. Let me just close. Uh, Jesus, I just pray for your people at this time, that no matter what they are experiencing, that they would experience your love and your peace. And Lord, that uh, we can give to you our situation and we can say, God, uh, help us. Fill us with your love. Give us your peace. Help us out. And so, Lord, I just pray for your people over this Christmas period that you would renew their faith and you would restore their faith and you would lift them up and you would encourage them in your name, Jesus. Amen.